0: And I've found over the years, especially here, is you can't go and wait for people to come to you. You have to go where the people are.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Western Planner Radio, a podcast where we try to connect with planners around the West, learn from each other, and try to build up the West together. I'm your host, Paul Moberly, editor of the Western Planner, and our guest today is Megan Nelms, county planner and zoning administrator for Campbell County, Wyoming. Megan also serves as the treasurer for Western Planner, and the treasurer for the Wyoming Planning Association and serves on the board for the Western Central APA chapter. Hi Megan, thanks for taking the time today. So tell me, how did you get into planning?
0: I do have a good story on that one. So uh, high school, I thought I was gonna go into computers and then I went to my first semester of college and I can't program and I failed. (laughs) And six months prior to that, I had applied at the city of Gillette, which is our county seat here in Camo County, uh, to be an IT intern for the city. I didn't get that job, but they kept everyone's resumes on file, and they got a new planner, Michael Surface. He's my mentor and my number one planner in my book, and they let him go through. They needed a new planning intern for the summer, so they let him go through the applications, and mine stuck out because I was president of Astronomy Club, (laughs) and so... Uh, Michael hired me and I ended up being the planning intern for the city of Gillette doing the citizen survey uh, for all four summers during college and during spring breaks and Christmas breaks. And then I was the planning intern for Albany County in Laramie, Wyoming, my senior year of college. And then right after I graduated, I came here to Campbell County and I'm still here. And I was born and raised here, so I never left. Gotta say I love it.
1: So you say you love it there. What do you like so much about living in Campbell County?
0: You know, it's funny when you're in high school and I'm leaving, I'm out of here. And you come back and I think I like the small town atmosphere still. Everybody knows everybody. Um, I think that's what helped me survive here as a planner and not get a Lester. Uh, is that I grew up here, and I kind of know what the community likes, what they feel. And, uh, you know, having a vision for the future, and, and so I, it's a unique job. I since I grew up here, I still have a lot of friends here. Um, I know the community, and I just care about it.
1: So you really do have some deep roots there in Campbell County. Um, and along those same lines, I know last year you and I were talking about community-based planning and community engagement when we were putting together the issue um, last February. So so tell me about community-based planning and what your thoughts are on that.
0: I guess to me, community-based planning is having, a, you know, getting people from the community that are part of the process and not just coming in and doing some charrettes or, participating in an open house but actually being part of that core stakeholder group you know not consultants not professional planners uh that's my least favorite thing and it's one thing we've gotten away from here even in terms of writing our regulations when it might not always be a great idea but you know, having a consultant come in from the outside who knows nothing about your community, but, oh, they've worked in communities like yours and they have all the answers. And over the years I've found that they sure don't. And you end up looking at your rules again or your plan again after they leave and making changes based on what the community wants. And if the community had been more in the process of developing the plan, you know, what what outcomes would have been there had they been more involved. Um, You know, just building that capital in a community, um, having them involved in developing the goals, developing the vision, um, and them being the ones to set those. You know, the political will always has to be there, but having them create those, I think is what makes a plan something that can can be implemented in a community. I have this quote on my desk uh, that I like and I hung it up there and it says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed is the only thing that ever has. So um, getting the residents to be proud of the community, to want to see it develop and bring in new opportunities, I think is what can create lasting, sustainable communities.
1: Yeah, in theory, I totally agree with you. In practice, how do we get more than those same five people who show up to most events and things, how do we get more people than them involved in helping the community towards their own future?
0: With our Vision 2040 plan we're doing right now, we busted out the Vision 2020 plan they did in the late 90s, and we actually sat there and checked off who is in the room again now. (laughs) That was listed on the list of people involved back then, 20 years ago. So,
1: And was it the same people, basically?
0: There were quite a few people that were the same. Yeah, so, I mean, it's always good to have that knowledge and that history and the people that were there and have made and helped things happen in communities, but getting, to have legitimacy, too, you have to have fresh blood, I say, because otherwise that's all you get. Oh, it's always the same people over and over and over and you know, we want everyone's
1: input. And it really goes either way, whether you're working on your own or using a consultant, because a good consultant will use a good process. And we as planners never should advocate our engagement role. The question still remains, how do you engage? How do you build consensus? How do you reach out and include marginalized groups? Because we all have them in our communities, whether they be ethnic groups, religious minorities, the elderly, youth, in one community I worked in, it was the ranchers of the area. So how do we go about doing that process of engagement in a real way that works for that community?
0: Right, and building that trust with the community that they, yeah. they know you have the community's interest at heart and that you do wanna hear everybody's opinion from. I said, when we started Vision 2040, uh, cause we were supposed to do our community review in April. And now because of the virus, we got pushed to September, but I said, you know, we want to hear from everybody, from the mayor and the city council to clerks at Walmart, you know, everybody's opinion counts and not to disengage anybody or make everyone feel, anyone feel like they're not represented or don't have a voice.
1: So speaking of trust and as representatives of the local government, that can be at times mistrusted. What role do you think transparency plays in this process?
0: Um, That's probably the biggest part of community-based planning, I guess, is asking the citizens to to be involved and saying, we want this to be your plan. We want you to develop it. Here is, here's here's our process. Help us create the plan. Um, Being open and upfront about your goals and and what the planning department might want to see out of it but um, when it's not the government creating a plan it's the citizens i think some of that issue of transparency maybe goes away because it's not somebody up on third floor of city hall trying to hide their intentions with this plan it's the community created this and that helps too when someone comes in and you know a council meeting or a commissioner meeting and says oh you put that plan together you didn't tell us you didn't we didn't even know about it and you can say well no the community created this here's the list of 200 people that were on our lead steering committee and all the co-committees and here's how many people we went and talked to and that participated in our process and So this isn't something that the electeds and the higher ups put together to force on the little people. It's the little people that came together to develop big ideas. So
1: So as you say, engagement is a process. I think sometimes when our activities are identified as processes, we can grow content in just the actions and not push for results. So what is it about that process that speaks to people that helps them to get engaged in this effort?
0: I think just because community-based planning also really focuses on quality of life planning too. I mean, a lot of comprehensive plans we're sitting here talking about sometimes parking and government cooperation and that kind of thing. But when you get the people involved and them talking about the aspects of, co- of their community and their life and what they want, um, I think it just lends itself to... The people being involved and then too and implementing the plan and wanting to be part of it and wanting to keep the community alive versus as you know we talked about before a consultant coming in and saying here's what you should do this is what you should do in the long and short term to keep your community they don't have any investment in that they don't they didn't come up with that but having the goals developed by the people And the people being the ones to implement them, that's what's going to keep reinvestment going in a community and people that want to keep their community moving forward.
1: So can you tell me more about the vision 2040 exercise that you're going through right now? And, and would you consider that a community-based planning effort?
0: It is totally a community-based approach. We The only support we have from the city or the county is, and the city hasn't paid us yet, but the county offer, we asked for $5,000 because that's how much they gave in 20 or in 1998 and the city as well. But we started last summer and it, it was, a, I guess it was our Economic Development Association Corporation. I was supposed to do it, but they felt they didn't have enough time or resources, I guess. But I showed up at like the second or third meeting last summer. And and that's one definitely an issue with community-based planning and people that don't have the resources that we were talking about is it was a cluster. They were just going back over the goals that had been developed in the twenty twenty plan and talking about what had been done and what hadn't been done and and when you're developing a new community plan for 2040 you know that's great everything that happened in 20 since the 2020 plan but that's not necessarily the goals or where the community wants or needs to go now you know when you start fresh and they didn't have that knowledge of the process of of starting or doing this process so um myself and uh jack clary he's my co-chair and he's really great he's retired Recently and he just he's never been involved in anything like this and he's just so interested and wants to be involved in the community um, so it got me excited and Anyway, we the business council came out with the community review grants again And they've usually only done it on smaller communities um, Wright is the other small community in our county. It only has like 1,200 people um, Lander Lovell, those kind of small communities. They've never done one in a community the size of Gillette and so for us to be chosen was a pretty big deal and so we're really excited to be able to do this and and do this plan Uh, because if we hadn't been chosen we didn't have the resources I didn't have the time to take on the role without assistance from them so it was really great to have their it's really great to have their assistance and those resources that are going to help us get this done so and we really need it right now because Especially after the virus and everything that's happened with oil and you know, we're the energy capital of the nation and our coal mines and coals going out the window. So we need a fresh vision for where Gillette's gonna be in twenty years. If it's gonna yeah. be which I don't like saying, but that's what we need. And the only way we're gonna make it survive is if the people here care enough. So which I think they do, it's just process. We have so many transient people that come here for work and the jobs because when oil and gas are booming, it's booming here. And when it's not, they're gone and they don't care what happens to Gillette. So having that planning effort collaboratively with people that care about Gillette and residents that want to stay and have their children stay uh, is important.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of our Western planners deal with different flavors of that same situation. Where you have a transient population and you're trying to engage with them in a real meaningful way where they might not feel as rooted in that place as other residents do um, even though they have an important voice that needs to be heard and included whether they be oil and gas workers like you're talking about we have them all over the west um, i'm familiar with ones down here in eastern utah or uh, students in college towns or um, seasonal workers in tourism-based economies or um, even just second homeowners, it's just how do you engage with those groups that may not feel or identify as being rooted in that community?
0: I guess my idea, and i found over the years, especially here, is you can't go and wait for people to come to you. You can't go sit at the library and have an open house and expect them to come show up uh so we're going to where the people are we're gonna go sit up we have a meadery have you ever heard of mead it's like a wine Mm. beer kind of thing but it's a local guy that opened big lost meadery here in our downtown and it's a pretty popular place but you know i said we're gonna go sit down there for a night and we're gonna go to boot hill you know the favorite nightclub here you know maybe not at 10 o'clock at night but um going to where the people are going to the park uh, to get the younger people's input. We're going to go to the high schools at lunchtime. And yeah, we'll bribe them with a free ice cream cone or a free coffee. at um, the local, that's our coffee shop downtown, but um, they did it in right. And it turned out so cool. You know, they had the kids at lunch come and they had all these different colored sticky notes. And we have three questions. What, What are the opportunities for Gillette? Where do you want to see Gillette in 20 years? um, You know, that kind of thing. And the three questions, and they write down their answers, and then they stick them up on a big roll of butcher paper, you know, lining the wall. And you can see all the different ideas and how much input you get from them in just, you know, an hour and a half at the high school at lunch. Or we're going to go to the senior center during the senior lunch when they serve lunch there every day during the week. And so I think that's one of the biggest things you have to do if you want to do a community plan and get input is you have to go where the people are. Don't expect them to come to you. You know, we have a home show that's a really big thing here every year at our event center and a lot you know, half the town probably goes and walks around through there and all the contractors and have a booth there. We usually have a thing, Donkey Creek Festival. It's like this three day music festival thing here at our college set up a booth there. And, and so those are also, I think all great ideas and getting people involved, um, for our community survey, we're going to have the little table tents. I was going to take them around, you know, with the coffee shops and restaurants and have a QR code so people can just, you know, snap it and get on there and take our survey. Hmm. Um, I think that's a good outreach effort. Um, We acknowledge our survey responses won't be scientific because you can't necessarily control who answers or how many times they answer if they actually live here, but (laughs) um, still, I think, an opportunity to reach those people that might not know about it or might not come to an open house. Um, We're doing lots of listening sessions, so we're doing sector-specific listening sessions where we have a sector lead, you know, whether it's real estate or you know, young children, child care, schools, parents, youth activities, um, the uh, religious community. And for the whole week that the community review team is here, we're setting up those listening sessions and inviting people for an hour to talk specific about that sector and what they see as visions for Gillette and where their sector can go. So that's another way um, to engage people and we're gonna you know we'll have regular open houses or like i said going and sitting at the meadery um one evening from five to seven Hit up that after work crowd and the people that are out and just cool trying to use different or unique ways to reach people than the normal come take our survey come to our open house because that doesn't really work here when i was the when i was the intern at the city we did mailing And my response rate, oh man, if I got 17%, it was that was good. Mm. Um, They've started doing it online, but they never—I don't think they've ever gotten above 20%, 25%. It's Mm. just so so hard to engage people here, and that's—I guess—something I'd be interested in—is how often do other communities get that? You know, is it just Gillette and the transient nature, or do people, I don't know, do they just not care? I guess I was kind of disappointed because we had the protests last night, and I don't think I've ever seen our downtown so busy. And I was kind of disheartened, like, how come we can't get people down here like that, even for our Main Street festivals, you know? What can you do to get people to care and engage as much as they did for something like that?
1: Well, not everything we do as planners can be as exciting as protesting racial inequality. But, um, you know, one thing that I always thought was a benefit of small towns is that you can really engage with everybody in your community. You know, the, the, the social networks are not that big. Um, you know, everybody can kind of pull together and, and talk to, to leadership and, if they want to, they can really get involved in a very, very meaningful way. So, you know, what what kind of things have you seen working in, in your area along those lines?
0: Well, one of my first few years here in this uh, old guy, he's he's been around since Gillette was first starting and he's got this big junkyard in the middle of town and I'm, like literally like new college development on the West big Highway 59 on the east, subdivisions on north and south, and he's still there in the middle of it all, and he came in, and he wanted something, and I was telling him what he had to do, and he goes, you need to take your book and get back where you came from, and I looked at him, I said, I was born and raised here, so I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) I cut him down pretty quick, and he has been, he's nice to me. He did tell our engineer was out trying to get an easement from him for something and he goes tell philip and megan to be nicer to me (laughs) or getting to know you know the developers or the people who always want to put in more mobile homes or want to do a new business or have this crazy idea and yeah building that relationship or we had a staff meeting last week and it'd been a busy day with lots of counter duty and walk-ins and a lot of them were people that didn't technically need anything from us maybe an electric permit but they either weren't zoned or we're just doing some small shed that the zoning certificate I mean we don't even make you display your zoning certificate when you get it and I commented in the staff meeting you know I said it's been busy and sometimes it gets irritating when you have to interrupt it every 30 minutes to go help someone I said but 10 years ago these people wouldn't have come in they would have just done it they've been oh I live in the county I can do whatever I want and changing that mentality, and my boss commented, he said, "Well, that's a testament to our department of fostering that relationship with people, and them knowing that if they come in, we'll work with them, and we're all on the same page with the same goal." So that, that is a good benefit of you know rural and small planning is getting to know the people, and they know who's in the office, they know who they're going to get, and they know what to expect when they go in.
1: So then, what are some challenges of engaging in planning in a small town.
0: Thing I guess I that I don't like about the small towns is the ability where we're talking about everybody knows everybody. They they also know the electeds and you know I always say in Las Vegas with their 400 page sign code if a developer comes in and he doesn't like what the staff tells him he has to do he doesn't have a direct line to a city councilman that's going to walk downstairs on second floor and tell him you let them put up this sign where, you know, we deal with that. Less frequently now than years ago, but, you know, just, oh, I don't like what Megan said I have to do. I'm going to call the commissioner and get it changed. But, have, you know, that goes back to, two having the same trust and relationship with your elected officials. So that when someone calls them up with a complaint like that, you know, that's taken us time with some elected officials to not just – Take what they hear and run down here but say thank you for your comments and letting me know let me talk to megan and her boss and i'll get back to you um and hearing what staff has to say before making a rash decision and saying no zoning we're done with the planning department and and that kind of stuff which i think probably happened a lot more back when you know even i'm talking to in the 80s and 90s and how we got the Lester Award, bringing up those ideas in towns and the people being totally against it and running the planner away. So we've we've developed, I want to say.
1: So how have you developed that relationship with your decision makers?
0: With uh, with my county commission, I think it's just important to talk to them. You know, having I like to have workshops with them, um, but. And I see this as a difference between the county and even our city here though is our county commissioners will walk around the building you know they'll call you up or they'll walk in their office and talk to you about an issue Um, we bring issues to them when they're there before they get elevated to a level where we don't want them to be Um, so I think that two it's a two-way street and making sure to let your electeds know that you're there and available, and, hey, please call me if there's questions or someone has an issue. And I think this was instilled in me from day one is the common sense and using common sense and making decisions and being able to work with people. And I always say, I hate I hate saying no. I don't like saying no, you absolutely cannot do that. And sometimes you have to, but I think you get a lot of respect from your community and from your electeds when, and that's why I like planning too, is it's not black and white. It's very gray and being able to work within your rules and making sure the intent is met and people in your community are still getting projects done, moving things forward um, and keeping progress going not setting you back, but also not way out of bounds of the rules, which are supposed to help you get to the vision that you want for your communities.
1: Yeah, I think that there's just greater social capital. There's that tighter connection between civic leaders and the citizenry, and that's really resilience from a community and social aspect. That's that's definitely a benefit of a community-based planning process and focus, and that's not just a focus for a specific planning action or activity, but in our general attitude?
0: I think here in our community too, lately we've had a, I say they're small but vocal, you know, that is against everything and against growth and and against progress in the community. And too, I think people are afraid to run for leadership positions, you know, especially with social media and getting raked over the coals and, everything you say being misinterpreted, and when you can have that collaboration between people and those groups, you know, that's how I, there's a lady in our community that uh, with my nuisance regs last year, she, she said um, the nuisance regs were the hill she was going to die on to get those changed. and. So when I was trying to explain to everybody what the community-based process was supposed to be, the intent for Vision 2040, I said, "It," I said, the process is supposed to work so that myself and this woman can be in the same room having a discussion. And while we may not have see eye to eye on everything, we're there because we both care about our community and we care about the future of it and we can come together and create a set of common goals for the betterment of it. No matter if we you know, we care more or less about what should be zoned or what's a nuisance or if the fire department gets too much money, because we have a common shared goal and vision for the future, by putting together a plan as a community, we can come together and have those goals and remove that strife or perceived disagreement between us.
1: Well, and that's where that process becomes so important. Is is being able to create a process that facilitates those kind of interactions and and smooths out those the the barriers that we we have so often between disputing groups, right? Right. I mean, and case in point with this with the, all these protests happening <laughs> yeah. and and the counter protests also and and everything <laughs> and just the the dialogue around this whole issue these issues of race and and police uh, actions and you know an extension of the state in some ways as you know law enforcement are um, at the local level right and so how can we engage and create these community based processes that can break down and smooth out those barriers you know it's in those processes but it's also what you were talking about earlier in developing those long term relationships that that level of trust with our communities and While, you know, how to do that is a million dollar question, but really it is, it's in the process, right? Like we have to have really good processes.
0: Yeah. How that anybody will ever resolve it. And I did see that in our community once they, some of them talked to each other and at the end, they realized they do have a lot in common and they do have a lot of the same vision and goals, but having that dialogue needs to happen. And the only way to get through that dialogue is to have a process to allow people to be open with their opinions. But knowing at the end, deep down, we all have the same goal and vision for whatever it may be, the world, our community, our neighborhood.
1: So this could seem pretty overwhelming for a lot of our planners. Uh, what would you tell somebody who is in a, you know, a one-person planning shop or a place with not a whole lot of resources available to them?
0: Um, I think then, especially in a setup like that, that's when it's important to have people in the community who want to advocate for change or advocate for a plan. Uh, I think a good example of that is where my grandparents live, a tiny town in um, southeast North Dakota, and their grocery store burned down last winter. And, you know, it's just this core group of people organizing, getting together, raising money. And that's the only way that they're going to get a new grocery store there. And we, you know, we all know a grocery store is one of the key pillars of a community and keeping a community from dying out. Um, so having a group of citizens that are interested in volunteering and being part of the process, and I think that is also, you know, one of the most important roles that organizations like Western Planner can play in helping those small communities. Um, when they're trying to help themselves. Getting a group of people together that, you know, probably aren't professional planners, haven't had a planning education or planning background and offering them the tools and the information that they need and that they can use to create a participatory process um, and gain knowledge and be able to develop a plan and get things done, even if they don't have a professional planner or money to hire a consultant.
1: So what types of resources are available to planners in those situations in Wyoming?
0: Um, I'd say Wild Pass and Western Planner are definitely resources that we can use um, to offer you know, education, training. Uh, Wild Pass, uh, a group of planners in Wyoming, have before uh, volunteered to come into small communities and help them uh, actually to the Wyoming Business Council uh, in the last few years, and Gillette is actually doing that. I'm part of the Vision 2040 team, um, but they do community reviews, and it's a volunteer, a group of volunteers that come into your community for a few days and do listening sessions and open houses and get all of the community input to help communities then develop a plan, and Wild Pass has partnered with them in the past to be part of that volunteer team to come into these small towns and help them develop plans. Um, So definitely the business council through the state, Wild Pass Western Planner, um, our extension office from the University of Wyoming has people that can help facilitate um, sessions, help develop plans uh, for communities or neighborhoods or um, whatever somebody has an idea for. So I definitely think as a smaller state with limited population, um, we do have good resources that communities can utilize if they want to you know, take up doing something like this on
1: their own. You know, you mentioned those community assessments from the Wyoming Business Council, and I really think that's a great program for a community that, that doesn't have a whole lot of resources. Because one of the great benefits of bringing in a consultant, uh, at least a good consultant, I think, is that they bring an outside perspective, they bring a pair of fresh eyes, and they kind of pair that up with that deep engagement and bringing in what the community wants. But they can also kind of temper that and and just offer, you know, new ideas and, and a different way of looking at things. And so those community assessments are such a great opportunity. And I think, uh, you know, a couple other states have a similar programs. There's the Western Community Assessment Network, of which Wyoming Business Council is part of, and collaboration with Montana and Idaho. I think Idaho has their own um, program in collab- collaboration with the Northwest Community Development uh, Institute. Um, I know I've done some work in, in Utah in, in the past with community assessments um, and some of the universities here are, do those still. Um, so these are just great opportunities for communities that don't have a lot of resources.
0: Right, and that's the That's what I really like about the community reviews with the business council is they're not necessarily consultants that are coming in and then telling you what you should do. They're really good at helping you bring the community together and then listening to that input and then helping you know your citizen steering committee or you know leaders of the process develop goals for the
1: community. So, any last thoughts about community engagement and this um, community-based planning process?
0: I was just going to say to always communicate what you're doing, you know, even after you do the community review and you have your plan uh, when you're implementing it, you know, always be kind of out there, maybe not always in their face, but we created a Facebook page and I envision hopefully keeping it going afterwards and, you know, reminding people, even at you know, little successes, little things you accomplish, it doesn't always have to be, a, as people say, you don't always have to hit a home run, but you know, a single or a double, getting a goal accomplished or you know, a small ob- objective of a larger goal, remind the community um, of that success.
1: And I hope you have a lot of success in this process. Thanks, Megan, for taking the time to talk today. And thanks everyone. That was Megan Nelms, County Planner and Zoning Administrator for Campbell County, Wyoming. And that wraps up this episode of Western Planner Radio. Check out our website where you can get more great planning content at westernplanner.org. And while there, you can sign up for our e-journal, which is written by planners for planners. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and join us again next month. In the meanwhile, let's keep building up the West together. Thanks.